Welcome back to the Music and Movie Club podcast. I'm John Kissel. With me tonight is J.R. Peters. Yo, yo, yo. Here at the Mediocre Movie Club, we're a group of friends who, every month, we select three movies, sometimes on a theme, sometimes not. We write about those three movies on our website, MediocreMovie.club, and then we get together to podcast about them. Uh, This last month, and for the month preceding it, and the the month preceding it, in honor of the upcoming looming Sight & Sound Top 250 release, uh, they do that once every decade, Sight & Sound is a British film magazine, uh, we decided we would go into our own personal top tens and select some of our favorite movies. And this last month, we decided to watch uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Stand By Me, and There Will Be Blood. We're going to talk about Who Framed Roger Rabbit first. Uh, JR, this was on your list. Uh, initial thoughts about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is on my top ten because it's, uh, I think it might be my sister's favorite movie. So it's one of those movies that just got played all the time in my mm-hmm family which we've talked about before my top 10 is more nostalgia based emotion based than yours is yours is more based off of just like how good is this fucking movie i think so uh but yeah i love this movie that's why it's what's in my top 10 i would give this movie an a i think uh probably the highest grade out of everyone but not too much higher than everyone else because this is there's a reason why like this probably is in the Criterion Criterion Collection. Criterion Collection. It's I don't probably, think so. I think it definitely it, could be. I'm surprised it's not. It's is it in the uh, the like library or whatever? I, I don't think Disney there. plays with the Criterion Collection. Oh, you know what? That that makes sense. But this is a great movie. I think everything about it is great with the the old neo neo noir uh movie like this entire movie could have been in black and white and it would have still fit quick background 1988 uh robert zemeckis movie he would have made this in the midst of his back to the future trilogy i'm not sure when back to the future 2 comes out but i want to say it's back to the future 1 then 2 then this and then 3 later uh so he's a pretty powerful director at this moment uh a huge pop director this was a huge success uh, really impressive technology involved in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I'm not going to say it's like seamless or anything like that, but uh, and it's certainly not the first movie to like blend live action and animation either. But I, what it does do, it does it extremely well, and I think part of that is all of the work that Bob Hoskins is doing as uh, Eddie, whatever his last name is, I can't remember. Uh, he is so Valentine. Eddie Valiant, yes, that's right. Valiant. He is yeah. so committed to his role as a as a noir detective from the 40s in this world where tunes live. <laughs> it's I feel like it should have maybe won like 1988 was Rain Man's year. That's when Dustin Hoffman won. Give the Oscar to uh Bob Hoskins, and I think everybody feels better about that, <laughs> especially now. When- <laughs> Hoffman is kind of persona non, non grata. Uh, he's he's amazing. I couldn't be, I could not believe what an incredible like comedic performance this was from him. I only really knew him as uh, Nikita Khrushchev from Enemy at the Gates. Like I haven't seen the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> I feel like this actor. He I I don't I just don't know a lot about Bob Hoskins. Uh, so I looked it up. I've never seen any other movie he's in. 
I mean, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And I've never, like, most of them I had never even heard of. You know, you're going through and it's like some 1990 movie called Mermaids. Like, I've never heard of this movie. <laughs> I've heard of that movie as, like, a terrible movie. Maybe yeah. He- but like, which makes sense. I was born in 1992, so this is like not a movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm this movie's born before me, and then I'm sure he got some decent movies after this because of it. But like, you know, most of the stuff he's in, I'm like, I, I don't know who this guy is, except for A Christmas Carol in 2009. That's like the <laughs> like but the Robert I mean, guess half CGI. Yeah. Or all, I guess it was all CGI. Okay. Yeah, he's in that, but I can't tell you. You know what I mean? Like, he's at Enemy at the Gates, A Christmas Carol. Super Mario Brothers. Super Mario Brothers. He's obviously got to be Mario in that, but the other two, I wouldn't be able... I've seen the other two, I think. No, I haven't seen Enemy at the Gates, but I've seen that Christmas Carol. I don't know who he is. I don't remember. I I, I, can't, I could not name a fifth thing he like we said mermaids too so okay that's five I could not name a sixth thing he was in for like if he said name a six Bob Hoskins movie for ten thousand dollars couldn't do it uh he seems like he's been like this age and body type for his entire life he's one of those actors yeah uh he he's still like a little bit of a hangover from like if you look at like the movie stars in the seventies, like Donald Sutherland and Elliot Gould, these like hairy Jewish men, Bob Hoskins like fits exactly in that framework. Uh, he like there's a there's a shot of him in this movie where he's flirting with Jessica Rabbit, where he's like barrel chested and he's got his suspenders on, and he is so hairy. Uh, you catch him in silhouette, and he's got like. Inch long, two inch long back hair. He's like an anti movie star that has movie star charisma in this role. It's it's really it's really incredible. I have so much respect for Bob Hoskins, based off of Eddie Valiant. Uh, like he's convincingly turned on by Jessica Rabbit. He like the, the 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 like the stage work, the choreography that has to do with Roger Rabbit. This like thing that is not on set with him. It's, yeah. It's, like you, you think about like every superhero movie where they're all just like talking to tennis balls. Any CGI role like, or Avatar or whatever, it he's up there. Yeah, <laughs> and I what I I think what makes that what I've so I I watch this thing every Saturday called. It's Corridor Digital, this group on YouTube, and they bring in like animators and VFX artists and stuntmen, and they that are that work on big movies and stuff. So a lot of these guys they bring in, they'll be like, "Yeah, this guy was the stuntman for Black Panther. Like, tell us what it's like about doing this." Mm-hmm. Whatever. But on one of them, they and they get all this like actual behind the scenes footage and everything. So. What they got was a lot of the time they just he's acting against like a metal frame that they draw Roger Rabbit over. And there's this frame is just being like wheeled around. And I guess what they told him kind of was like act just like go as hard as you can. If you mess up, we can just draw the rabbit a little weirder. (laughs) Like so like there's one scene where he 
he like pushes Robert Ra- Roger Rabbit up against a wall, and Roger Rabbit stands up on his tiptoes as he's getting pushed up against the wall or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's because he just looked too high. So like Roger Rabbit <laughs> is like is supposed to be five foot seven or whatever, and he looks as if Roger Rabbit's like six foot. And then they just drew Roger Rabbit standing on his toes just so that because they were like, this is a good take. I'm not going to say it's like it's it's perfect by any means, oh, but that no. is part of the charm. Like the thing is the best like practical special effects movie in spite of the moments when like you can see the 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 kinks and the joints moving or whatever else. I, I watched this uh, on Disney Plus. So, you know, like not the ideal transfer. That's always the case with streaming. Like it's always a little dumbed down. But even with that, uh, I'm not uh, uh, like there were definitely moments when you could like see the blur behind the behind the CGI or like behind the animated overlay. But it was rare and it was at the moments of like highest action. So, you know, I'm inclined to forgive that. And, like, you compare that to what Zemeckis goes on to do with, like, the Polar Express and the Christmas Carol and Beowulf and uh, I feel like oh, a dozen Jesus. other, yeah, like a dozen other CGI movies when, uh, he like, he cracked it here. <laughs> this is as good as it's going to get. And somehow he went backwards as the technology, you know, got quote-unquote better. It It's sad and makes Who Framed Roger Rabbit better by comparison. Yeah, that's, that's... That is sad. And it doesn't look like he really just kind of he slowed down for a long time. I'm looking at his IMDb as far as directing went. Yeah, like he's one of the, like Tarantino is always so afraid of being an old director who doesn't make good movies anymore. And like Robert, Roger, or Zemeckis is, has, has got to be one of the people in his mind when he talks about that. I mean, I, yeah. But I also got to say in 1994, this man released a terrible movie in the form of Forrest Gump. Sure, yes, Forrest Gump. <laughs> Sorry, I just... I mean, yes, give me the a terrible movie that won all his Oscars and made a lot of money, but still, yeah. yes. History give me an opportunity to shit on Forrest Gump, I'm going to do it. But yeah, I it's it's a good movie. And I one of the things you got here is the sneaky message movie. Yeah. Urban renewal, buying up public goods, suburbanization. Like, I've never, never even thought of it, you know? I'm just most of the time I'm watching this, I'm like a little kid, right? I've probably watched mm-hmm. this three times since I was like 12 or whatever. And the rest of the times, you're just a little kid, like, oh my God, you got all these dudes. And then, you know, you watch you watch it now and you see these things. And it, yeah, it's like this dude's buying up stuff, killing people to get rid of it. And you just can't help but hear all these like loonies i'm gonna kill them and then i'm gonna run a run run through yeah you're like literally this is redlining this is like what all these people are talking about all you know you hear all these loonies crazy people talking about the clintons killing people to get whatever and you're like this is but it's like (laughs) like that's it though and i mean it's 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 sticking with the noir tradition where like a lot of these movies are written by people that are called up before the house on american activities committee to like defend uh, what they're putting into movies. And like this, Roger Rabbit does not have to be about anything at all. And somehow it like smuggles in these like 
a, a baby's first definition of neoliberalism, where you have Eddie Valiant explicitly calling out how awesome the public transportation system is. And then, and then yes, Christopher Lloyd is buying it up so he can create suburbs and uh, make money on building the highway, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Like, it's, it, it is a real, like, coherent uh, vision of how cities get changed. And, um, like, you can find endless, like, real instances of exactly this kind of thing happening in, like, every big city in America. It, it, like this movie has this this all timer like comedic performance, and it also has like uh, a one hundred one course in in urbanism. <laughs> so like it doesn't need to do any of this. It starts with like a classic animated like short of like cont- like escalating Rube Goldberg mishaps, and. Yeah. Then it immediately goes into like, okay, so we've got we've got your like base, lower brain comedic, you know, neurons firing. Here's a little, uh, here's a little of this to keep you going. Yeah, um, and, and to go along with that messaging, I guess, you know, kind of tangent off of it, but it was like, I also was watching this and I was like, I don't know where, like, when I started, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. And I was like, is this going to be like one of these movies where I'm like, damn, this did not age well at all. You know, there's going to be some racist shit in it, possibly, you know, you got whatever. And like the worst thing I noticed, I wasn't looking for it, but the worst thing I noticed was the time he shot the gun and the Native American. Yeah. (laughs) But like, like, I was like, that's it. Okay, that's that's not bad. Like, <laughs> like that's not the best thing, but that is certainly better than I thought it was going to be. Re- you know, when you go to rewatch this thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Could could have could have been a whole lot worse. Okay, yeah, no argument from me. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, it was like I I was very surprised because I watched it was I was more aware of it because yesterday I watched Blue Streak mm-hmm. and. Uh, Dave Chappelle's character is like report repeatedly calls the other dude uh, gay. Like he's like he's gay. Sure, Works yeah. All he's gay, he's gay, he's gay. And you're like, okay, not great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's not great. And that's 1999. You know what I mean? Versus like yeah, years before. So you're like, this could be a little dicey when I rewatch this and nothing. Yeah. Uh, the, the movie we recently watched, uh, Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, is like it has a lot in common with this movie. It has like the detective plot happening in the background, but uh, the plot here, like that that background villain plot, is just so much more sophisticated. Thirty years or thirty five, thirty five, yeah, thirty five years prior. Uh, it just yeah, and, and like it's made by the same company with the same like crazy amount of licensing that they had to do to get all the characters that are in this movie and in Chippendale as well. And, um, I mean, there's just, it it just totally makes sense that like, as Disney amasses more control, the thing they're most worried about in Chippendale is copyright infringement. But at this period in the eighties, like they can, they can put this, um, this like leftist argument in this movie. Uh, I I just, I I find that interesting. Um, They were I, trying hard to get another Who Framed Roger Rabbit on that 
with that Chippendale rescue. Right? I think I think Roger Rabbit like shows up in the background. And like speaking of that character, I had again never seen this movie before, but like my assumption was that he was just like dragging this movie down with how annoying he was. I don't really know where I got that from, but that's just like you know how that that's just you like soak up popular quote unquote opinions about a movie. I didn't find that necessarily at, at all. Uh, he's just like a recognizable character of uh, like a Krusty the Clown type needy entertainer. Uh, I didn't find him to be like overbearing at all in a way that yeah. this movie certainly could have been um, kids movies often or like movies that are, I don't believe in kids movies famously uh, movies that are for families uh, often have these like really over the top kind of characters. But I, I, I thought he was fine. I thought Roger Rabbit is fine. He, he's no Eddie he's, Valiant, but he's fine. He's, he's annoying, but he's the right amount annoying of annoying. Yeah. Cause yeah. he's in an, his whole thing is he's an annoying rabbit, like, and they just didn't go over the top with making him annoying, like you're saying. And so he's he's an actor. He's an annoying actor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's which, all he is. Yeah. Which coming off of our team America and like totally appropriate. That's in my head. Uh, something else that uh, I like about this movie and that more. Uh, animated movies, family movies have just not done as well, has good a job in, is uh, like the the something for the adults angle. Uh, the something for the adults angle here isn't like, uh, remember this pop culture thing that uh, your kid's going to have no idea about, but you remember watching when you were a kid or whatever. Uh, the baby actor like comments about his useless dick <laughs> and like Jessica Rabbit is like drawn to be as actually sexy as possible somehow. I feel like this is one of the key like Gen X sexual awakening moments. Like if you were 12 years old or 11 years old and you went to the theaters to see Roger Rabbit, you're like, uh, what's happening <laughs> when she comes on screen. <laughs> it's like the version of the Fox for uh, like the, the Fox and Robin Hood for, uh, for girls. Yeah. But even then they, the, the, nostalgia and hey these people part is even better than what most people are doing because like they they don't throw Betty Boop in to just be like hey I'm Betty Boop she's like yes, she's over a the hill yeah she, she's this guy's talking to her he's like oh no you still got it like while he's like watching other people on stage and that's that and you know you're, you're watching with your grandma my grandma or whatever and your grandma's like I remember Betty Boop yeah but it's just like yeah, like, and the grandpa's laughing because being... he also has a useless dick. Yeah. Like, the whole family's into it. <laughs> yeah, fits in with it being 50, 30 years after Betty Boop's prime. She's she's not still seen as this goddess. You got Jessica Rabbit coming up, and these people don't even care that this 30 years ago she was running the scene. It, yeah, movies just, you know... That's that's the that's the argument, the, like the Scorsese argument, like maybe they're getting worse. And here, like Who Framed Roger Rabbit versus a lot of like modern animation, including from its own director. Uh, yeah, hard to argue. Like this is exhibit A. Good movie, Roger Rabbit. Surprised. I didn't expect to like this as much as I did. Uh, a very solid B plus for me and a totally justifiable uh, entry on your all-time favorite list, Jr. Yeah. Good, good. Uh, our next movie is Stand by Me, uh, 1986. 
Stephen King adaptation of a short story of his called The Body, uh, starring River Phoenix and Will Wheaton and Corey Feldman and um, who's the fucking other one? Jerry O'Connell is the fat kid. Uh, initial thoughts. Stand by me, Jr. This movie sucks. Oh boy, this would be fun. Yeah, I think I don't. I think I hate it more than I did before I watched it. Awesome. This is like, what's the point of this movie? <laughs> what is the point of this movie? And you're gonna be talk about it's a period of time, time period bullshit. It's like, come on, man, come. On. I, I was watching this movie. The person I was watching it with was like, what the fuck is happening? And I, I was like, yeah, I know. Like, I've seen this movie multiple times. I'm like, that's my initial thoughts. What the fuck is okay. happening with this movie? I'm giving it a fucking C minus. Wow. Wow. It's, okay. It feels similar to Boyhood, but better. I hated Boyhood. Wow. Okay. I, I think maybe my problem is white people. White people doing nothing <laughs> in movies. I think it's maybe like this might seriously. You have no interest in white childhood. Yeah, I I don't think I. It's boring. Like that. Like nothing happened. These dudes are just walking around. I'm like, give me something. Give me something. And the the one kid, uh, not Robert. Did you say you? God damn it! We said Robert Zemeckis. Now I'm fucking stuck. Corey Feldman's character, mm-hmm. the best character, Teddy. Wow. Right? Okay. Best character in the thing, but like, yeah, I I got nothing. I I am a big fan of this movie. I think this movie works as far as being um, like like a like a, a turning point. I would say for like movies about kids, at least American movies about kids. Like the French figured this out decades ago that you can make movies about children that have like inner lives and uh and they don't have to meet aliens necessarily to be interesting uh, uh this movie isn't like no it's not et level like sci-fi by any means there's no sci-fi in it at all but as far as like who are these kids what are they concerned about what kind of environment do they live in where are they going to go for the rest of their life uh that is the kind of um, that is a kind of movie that often works on me and a lot of times, the lower the stakes, the better. Like, I just watched a movie called Petit Maman about uh, – it's streaming on Hulu. The release window is confusing. I'm going to count it as a release for 2022. But it's it's 72 minutes long. It's about an 8-year-old girl whose grandma dies. Her mother goes to her – her mother and her father take her to her grandma's house to clear it out. She runs around in the woods. She finds another girl to play with. The girl is – somehow, the movie doesn't care how – but the girl is a young version of her mother and her grandma is still around as well. So the movie does not care in any way how any of this is happening. But what the movie is, is just this little girl hanging out with her mom when she is the, the, the same age. And I loved that. There are no stakes. It's just these two girls uh, like hanging out together. And uh, <laughs> if, if a movie can like pull off, a level of like naturalism where the actors are extremely comfortable. They like each other. They're just having a good time together. There is, I, I, I think there's something just really watchable about that. And I hear how that sounds. It doesn't sound great, <laughs> but I just really often like movies like this. And this is a pretty strong version of exactly that. 
Uh, it's not a perfect movie by any means. I know a lot of people my age just go fucking nuts for this movie. I wouldn't say I'm that enthusiastic. I gave this an A minus. I stand by that. It's not my. F- I, I I I do prefer Boyhood if we're gonna like compare and contrast. But and as far as like Stephen King movies too, like this is, this is like I think as good as Stephen King ad- adaptations get in a lot of ways. It has a lot of his hallmarks with like a, a nostalgic tone, in spite of how terrible all the adults often are in his in his uh, works and his short stories and his novellas, et cetera, et cetera. His his stories often take place in the fifties. I think he would have been exactly this age, in nineteen fifty nine. Uh, the small town stuff, all that classic Stephen King, and I think this is about as good as anybody has ever done it. Um, I don't know if you can speak to that, Jr. Like if you prefer other Stephen King stuff, or maybe you just don't like Stephen King adaptations in general. Uh, the oh, I've seen The Shining. That's good, but he also fucking hates that. So he does. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh, that's good. What do you get? What else? I don't watch it. it. I don't watch any scary shit. Oh um, wow! Yeah, not as I, I'm a if if it's scary enough, I'll have nightmares for weeks. So like, <laughs> I, don't know. I, just, I mean, I'm not unlike that. It's just a very narrow kind of thing that will make that happen to me. Yeah, it's just I just don't chance it. You know what I mean? Like that's fair. I can watch a good thriller, horror type thing. That's like horror. I think I can do maybe. Or a thriller that's like The Witch or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. I'm cool with that. Love The Witch. Watch it every year. Uh, but you know, most Stephen King things are he lit. He, you know what? I like The Mist. The Mist. Okay. The Dawshank Mist is Redemption, fine. And then the other one. But I don't think I've know any other. I'm sure there's shitload of Stephen King in remakes or whatever you want to. Call A lot it. of bad stuff, certainly. Yeah, but I don't. I don't really know them. Like you could tell me a movie as a Stephen King adaptation, and I'd be like, "Oh, really? Cool." Mm. Like for instance, "Stand by Me." Did not know that was a Stephen King adaptation. It's definitely, it, it's definitely out of the mold for him, just because there is no like supernatural horror type stuff in this in this book or in this story at all. Um, but as far as like general tone and kind of what he's interested in. At least in this narrow part of his like huge, uh, like book bookography, bibliography, bibliography. Yeah, like this is this is a corner of it, and I think that I prefer this to it. Um, and there's probably a few other examples that I'm not remembering. Uh, like this nostalgia for child independence. Uh, every every movie I see where like a kid has just some semblance of freedom, I, I'm not. I don't tend to be a nostalgic person. I try to fight that as much as I can, but uh, there is just something so appealing about a kid who is a or a kid and and their group of friends who are just able to fuck off for the entire day and and entertain themselves and their parents are totally fine with it. Uh, I was talking with MMC member Blair downstairs about exactly that uh, before the podcast, and I just find that so interesting about America. Like it happened within our lifetimes, where I don't maybe you had this kind of childhood. I did. Yeah. 100%. Like my, I went, I specifically remember one time I was out and me and my buddies just decided we were going to ride our bikes down this highway. Mm-hmm. We just like rode our bikes out on this highway, like 15 miles, like, like fucking BMX bikes. We were, you mm-hmm. know, we were just like sixth grade BMX bikes and didn't tell our parents. We were just like, Hey, we're, we're heading out. And then my mom found out like, 
that was like a Saturday. My mom found out like on Wednesday when someone was like, hey, it was just like, hey, I saw your JR riding down the down out in Williams, like way the hell out there on his bike with his friends. And my mom was like, oh, OK, nobody died. We're cool. Yeah. Once you once you get the bike, that just opens up a whole level of independence. I would do the same thing driving on the highway uh, to the local to like the nearest gas station to like buy some candy, maybe steal some baseball or some basketball cards. Who knows? It depended on what clerk was working here or there. Uh, I would get together with my cousins and go into our like our small Indiana town of fifteen hundred people, and we would we would play hide and seek in the town. Like the town was the was the whole field, and you would just like go hide in an alley, three blocks away from grandma's house or whatever. And there were multiple times where I was like coming around a corner so fast that like peeled out into the rail and like the like the railroad uh, rock ditch that they built it up. They built up like this ditch against the road. I would do that all the time. And I, I just never learned my lesson. Uh, could have certainly could have easily been hit by a car, like just like firing out <laughs> out of a corner onto a different street. But, you know, it's a tiny town. There's not a lot of traffic around. Everything turned out fine. Uh, I just I, I just really I have a good sense of what happened, I think. But I would 100 percent read like a 500 page book about all the different trends that just obliterated that kind of childhood. It just, just does not seem at all like a thing anymore. I mean, I do live in a big city now. It does kind of seem like my neighbors, uh, maybe I've mentioned this before, just like it doesn't seem like white people do this kind of thing anymore. Most of my neighbors are, are black families, and it kind of seems like they are still having this kind of childhood where they're uh, riding bikes around the neighborhood and playing in each other's yards all the time. But it just really doesn't seem... Like but that's any, that's also different than just like rolling out too. You know what I mean? Sure. Like yeah. completely dipping out and just because my my sister in Westfield, her kids still do that, and the all the neighborhood kids all do that and everything. But they're not okay. like like they're in like the safest city. You know, like Westfield and Carmel are like nothing's happening in Westfield and Carmel, Indiana, mm-hmm. and they're still not gonna be like oh you're 10 like ride your bike out just down the highway and mm-hmm. you know like they're not gonna be like they're gonna be like yeah you can go over to the other cul-de-sac the other uh neighborhood that got built two weeks ago but they're not gonna be like oh you rode like 16 miles just like down the street and then you guys just like got food because you had a little bit of money and then you rode back and you were gone for 14 hours out of the day okay cool which my parents would have been like, hey, make it home by 2 a.m. You know, you know what I mean? They're like, 2 hey, I, no, no, not 2 a.m. But they're like, <laughs> they're like, when we all go to bed, we expect you to be here, which is pretty late. Like, they, my parents were legitimately probably a 10 p.m., 11 p.m. family. Mm-hmm. Like, so, yeah, I just. I think about okay, it all the so, time. I think I do I just like you do and we talked about it when we watched the uh the movie um we, it's NASA definitely movie. podcast before. The NASA movie specifically. That's the Oh one yes. Yeah, Apollo 10 and a half. Yeah. And yeah, it's just like Did you like that movie? Yeah. I like that movie. So why what what's the difference? Because they're not trying to say something in that movie. They're just like, here's what was happening. And this okay. movie is like 
trying to have some something to say, and I think it's just not good. You're not buying it. I'm not buying it, and I think Boyhood. I I'm comparing it to Boyhood because just a lot of nothing happened in Boyhood too. It was just nothing over and over. But it's Boyhood probably also had stuff to say, and I I only watched it the one time, so I'm really just speaking from sure eight eight years ago or whatever the hell that movie came out. But it's just my memory of that movie is not good for it. And maybe I could rewatch it now as like more of an adult person and have different idea. But this movie, th- that movie is just like, Hey, here's what we did one summer. NASA was happening and we were just being kids. And these guys are like dealing with shit. They're like yeah. going to see a dead body while all the, while these things. But I, I think nothing of it outside mm-hmm. of, Outside of Teddy, who is what I was saying, has the his Teddy's dad is fucking in a loony bin. Yeah, he's got the worst life. Yeah, he's in Bedlam, and this dude's like trying to grapple with that by always talking about how he's a he's still he fought in World War II and whatever. But like outside of that, I think mostly I'm just kind of like this is this kind of sucks. So to sum up, like the sociological what happened to the children stuff. Maybe I'm wrong to think that it doesn't happen, that that kind of child doesn't happen anymore. Maybe the people that are writing about this kind of stuff all live in cities. It doesn't happen in cities anymore, perhaps, but in like suburbs and small towns, kids are still, you know, playing basketball at the local, at the local court until like 8 PM. Maybe. If that lifestyle went away because of the media, maybe I think it went away also because of the media. <laughs> I, I just need, I, I, I do find this extremely interesting because it, it does feed into so many things about um, America being afraid of its neighbors, which I think has like real ramifications for how we think about politics and so many other things too. Um, so yeah, maybe I just need to read more about this, but it, it, uh, it absolutely does come up every time I watch a movie like Stand By Me, or Apollo 10 and a Half. Uh, something else we talked about in Apollo 10 and a Half is that how it has admiration for like all this independence, but it does still include reasons why it maybe was not a good idea. Like in Stand By Me, it was like the kid with a compound fracture from like playing Red Rover. And in here, it's it's like the instigating incident. A kid went off into the forest by himself and got hit by a train and nobody knows what happened to him. <laughs> so I don't know. Like there is surely some middle ground between I'm pretty sure everybody in my neighborhood is a pedophile and, you know, uh, the kid is out the door at nine o'clock in the morning and he's back at 8 PM. There's probably some middle ground between those two things. But uh, yeah, I just, I, I, every, every news report I read about, I, I, see or hear about with those like razors in the in the twix bars and now there's like you know candy colored fentanyl this kind of shit just happens all the time and it fucking wears me out yeah it was, so what happened i don't is, i really is don't it know 9 11 <laughs> i really don't know i think it probably started in the 80s with like the satanic panic where where like everyone is sure that daycare centers are running these like molestation rings slash satanic rituals and people like actually go to jail because of it, and it's all fake. And I'm, it probably has something to do with cable, like these places, like these programs, these channels have to fill the air with something. So why not convince everybody that their neighborhoods are full of 
uh, felons and child molesters, et cetera, et cetera. And eventually, like this fake thing becomes real and people start to act as if, and then they make it real. And now all of a sudden, like I remember in the period of time before like Trump got on like the political scene, uh, a week would go by and like the big news was a mom sent her six-year-old kid on the subway to run an errand. And uh, she gets on all of like the major news programs and she's talking about free range parenting. And then another week, uh, like a poor working mother uh, has to work a double shift at McDonald's or whatever. And she leaves her kid in the playground across the street for 10 hours. And that like that might not have batted an eye 20 years ago, but in 2013, 2014, whenever that was, child services has to be called and the mom has to be arrested. So, yeah, I just find all this kind of I, someone wrote a book, I am sure, explaining or like sussing all this out. Uh, and yeah, maybe I need to add it to my wish list. Yeah, find me a book because I'd also like to read. Yeah, and maybe it's all fake. Maybe people still live like this. There's no way. I just don't. I don't buy it. I'm sorry. I don't buy it. That, that people, people still do. live like this. No way. Hmm. No way. Uh, jumping back into Stand By Me, uh, yeah. I wrote the agenda assuming <laughs> that everybody loved Stand By Me. So, uh, the egg on my face. But uh, as far as ranking the kid characters and like the kid performances, like you've already spoke highly of uh, Teddy, who's played by Corey Feldman. I'll echo praise for Corey Feldman. I think this is like the only thing that I've ever liked him in. All of his other 80s roles, I think, are bad. I don't think he's a good actor necessarily. And I think he's only good here because this character like is Corey Feldman at whatever age he is when he's playing this character. He has like abusive parents. Uh, he's not very smart. He's not, he's doing stuff that he doesn't really want to do. He's being made to like act all the time. And he's really able to like find the anger at his dad and put it into this character as like a 12, 13 year old kid. Uh, I do think River Phoenix and Will Wheaton are, I, I do prefer them, both their characters and their performances. I haven't seen a lot of stuff that River, River Phoenix has been in, especially like his later work. Like he made a movie with Keanu Reeves. He made a movie with, I want to say Harrison Ford. Um, I haven't seen either of those. Yeah. Yeah. Be, he was there's in not the a last lot. Crusade. The, yes. I have seen the last crusade and we did explorers a long time ago. That was one of his very early roles. Um, but yeah, he's, you know, like the 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 cliche about Stand By Me is that like all the kid characters are who they are. Like the actors are the characters where like uh, Jerry O'Connell was like the, was the youngest and the least experienced, but he was just a good time kid. And Corey Feldman is a mess and angry and Will Wheaton is shy and unsure of himself. And River Phoenix is like a natural born leader that everybody wants to impress. And I mean, yeah, that's kind of all you need to know about this movie. Yeah, I, I, I just don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm overly grading this because I think it's universally loved, right? You know, like everybody <laughs> loves this movie except me. They really do. Yeah, and this, I feel like this movie is like I said, Boyhood. And now I'm gonna say it's. It's just a bunch of nothing to me for some reason, and it feels like Breakfast Club. 
Mm. Which is just even more nothing. Yeah, same year. That's not a. I I, I gave that movie a somewhere in the B range, like a B minus or a B. But I yeah, that movie is not great. I, to- I that's and totally fair. <laughs> this feels like just a kid version of the Breakfast Club a little bit. You know, not like the themes and everything, but it's just like I'm just like watching stuff happen and I'm like like this this like I'm just sitting there. And I'm I'm sure there's a movie out there that this exact shit is happening in a fucking movie and I'm like lapping it up like a fucking dog. I'm like, oh my God, this is the best fucking movie ever made. I, I mean, I think this movie came up when we were talking about Menace to Society because during that movie we were talking so much about Boys to the Hood, which borrows a lot from Stand By Me and those early like kid scene parts where they have like the the bullies. Um, oh, yeah. they, I think they actually say, do you want to see a dead body in Boys in the they Hood? Do. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the, those ki- the little kids' problems aren't focused on in Boys in the Hood in the way they are here. But, like, a truism for when it comes to these kind of movies is, and I put it in all my reviews, more or less, is just sad kids are sad. <laughs> sad kids work on me. If I see a sad kid, I'm kind of drawn into the movie. Like, I don't want this kid to be sad. Can this kid get out of being sad <laughs> over the course of the movie? And, like, kind of the signature shot for me in Stand By Me is Will Wheaton, early in the movie, his character uh, Gordy, just walking down the street alone in this town. Like his brother's just died. His dad is not a fan. He would, I think pretty obviously prefer that he had died instead of his jock older brother played by John Cusack. And that just fucking kills me every time in any movie. If a kid can be convincingly sad, I'm in. And it just doesn't seem like that works on you. And like, there's, he's not the only sad kid in this movie by any means. Like Gordy is, or not Gordy. Um, Teddy is sad. Chris is sad. Uh, they're hiding it in, you know, in different levels of effectiveness. But their saddest moments are the ones that work on me most in Stand By Me. And it just seems like you're maybe a little immune to that, which is fine. Like some, <laughs> you know, I'm not judging. I don't this. So it's it's hard for me to say because I do love a good coming of age story, but mm. I just doesn't, it's a, I wouldn't say this is one. I mean, I will absolutely say that like the narration is not helping this movie at all. The narration is bad as it is in so many movies. It is unnecessary. It makes the movie dumber. I mean, just, just standard narration complaints. It treats the viewer like an idiot by having like the voice of God saying what the characters are thinking when the viewer, you know, should be able to figure that out by watching the movie. And like, I think this is a particularly bad example of narration. Yeah, I would agree with that. I Maybe I'll rewatch it later too. I'll like throw this in, like throw a reminder on my phone to have me watch it in two months. <laughs> I mean, like, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Yeah. I, I don't know. And I like, like we were saying, Literally everyone loves this movie except me. I've literally never found anyone else that is like, this is not even, I've never heard someone say this is an average movie. Like people are like, this is amazing. Best movie ever. Top Mm -hmm. 10, you know? And then I'm like, no, this movie sucks. So everybody's got one of those. Like this is just something I'm missing. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's like I, I try and watch all like the critically acclaimed movies in any given year. And like there's always one or two where I'm like, what the fuck are people talking about? This movie is trash. This movie bore, put me to sleep. That's often the complaint. This movie put me to sleep. Uh, so, yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Uh, the last thing to say about Stand By Me is just like this is going to be a recurring trend as long as we're doing the, this this uh, several months of our favorite movies because we have to continuously go back into the past to find these. And I, I just can't help myself. I want to comment on like the era that the movie is taking place in. And just like the late 50s, where a lot of their dads probably fought in World War II. But, you know, World War II is the good war. And uh, that probably helped people not have a lot of after effects from fighting, like PTSD kind of stuff. Uh, like being exalted by the nation probably helped a little bit in that regard. But they, you know, they still fought in like a high intensity war and were probably and were undoubtedly fucked up about it. But it's like before any progress can be made on making these men feel any better or like deal with all of their all of the stuff that they saw and the stuff that they did. And what they do instead is just make their life, make their children's lives miserable by being these distant, like harsh, cruel, abusive fathers. And <laughs> like you're feeding all of that shit to kids who are going to age into the 60s. And figure out that they don't actually have to live that way. And like the country is going to like tear itself apart over like uh, World War Two leftover World War Two trauma. I just find that interesting. Like I there's there's not a single good adult in this movie. And I, I you have to ask yourself why that is. There's and, not a single good over 12 year old in this movie. Yeah. The, like the bullies. Yeah, even the even the seventeen year olds are pieces of shit. Yeah, yeah, and that's like part of the idea of the movie is like, is this where these like kids are heading? Are they going to be terrible teens? Are they going to be terrible adults? And uh, you know, they get out of it by loving each other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else on Stand by Me? Anything we forgot before we move on to our last movie? Yeah. Uh, fuck this movie. No, no. You can edit that out. I just... <laughs> no, it's staying in, baby. Yeah. Uh, our last movie is There Will Be Blood. Uh, this is Paul Thomas Anderson's fifth movie, released in 2007. Uh, probably the peak year for, like, important, big, uh, critically acclaimed movies in the last 20 or so. Released alongside No Country for Old Men, competed with No Country for Old Men at the Oscars, and won some and lost some. But, uh... Those two are the primary, like, big 2007 movies, and this one has kind of had the better reputation in the years since. It's made more best-of-the-decade lists, more best-of-the-century lists, best-of-the-21st-century lists. It's on that Sight and Sound top 250 list, and the first time it was eligible, whereas No Country was not. So, kind of lost in the year of its release, but has gained ground since then. Uh, JR, initial thoughts on There Will Be Blood. Great movie. Uh, solid A. Solid A movie. This is the third Paul Thomas Anderson movie that I have given an A plus two after Boogie Nights and The Master. Although There Will Be Blood is probably my least favorite of those three. I mean, we're talking about the differences between A pluses, so it's not a big deal by any or a vast amount by any means. But uh, nonetheless, uh, this is a movie that just feels important. 
it kind and by feeling important, you kind of read more into them than they might deserve. So like, can an important film balance that with entertainment with the entertainment factor? That's just like inherent to any movie. Uh, and if it can't, it kind of like just falls away into like the vast sea of forgotten pieces of Oscar bait. Uh, I think this movie doesn't have that much to say really on this last rewatch and we'll get into it. I've seen this movie about five or six times probably. Uh, but I think it transcends like it's not the reader because uh, it's entertaining as hell. And, like it's very easy for an important feeling movie to feel like homework. And I don't think for a second there'll be blood feels like homework. Is that uh, the same for you, Jr.? Wait, say that again. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a long way to go. So like, these like it's very long it's very serious it's about the west it's theoretically about like america and uh business versus religion and all of this shit and when movies are like that they can take on this like weighty feeling as opposed to being entertaining and like or or fun to watch fun might be the wrong word but just like compelling uh and the movies that like are bad at this you know, get what get sucked into the into the into every year's like this was a studio trying to get Oscars and failing because they took themselves way too seriously. And I think there'll be blood has the look of an important movie and the feel of an important movie, but it's not actually an important movie. I think it's just a really fun. It is it, it is an actually fun movie to watch. I yes, I agree with that. It definitely takes itself very seriously and I could see where most people are thinking or people are thinking that way where it's like got got a lot to say but I just watch it as two just maniacs going at it basically a pastor maniac versus a, a freaking business man maniac yeah uh, like and that that's that's just how I'm watching is like how are they gonna do this to each other and you, you're just gonna watch it watch it unfold I definitely think that's like the first time or two that you watch it like that's what you come away with but like on the fifth or sixth uh all of that kind of falls away and it it becomes actually pretty funny i think this is a this is an oddly funny movie uh in a lot of places uh i think i think like the big stuff like you come out of this movie the first time and you're like oh gosh i want to talk about the west i want to talk about america and what this means for america and eventually you just want to think about how this father-son relationship fell apart and if it was ever fixable or if it was ever legitimate. And like, that is what I came away with on this most recent re and what I had been going towards on this most recent rewatch. Like, I don't think it really has anything to say about America, honestly. And maybe uh, you feel differently. No, because America and, and, the church have basically been cool with each other. So I guess no. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And like, like it's that, not a battle at all. Yeah. Like, like business and uh, business in America, or they go hand in hand. Or bi- America and business and church have always been right lockstep with each other. I mean, as a church hater. <laughs> okay. So we're going to be in sync on this because. <laughs> Some a knock I sometimes hear about there will be blood is that 
the contest between Daniel and Eli is not close. <laughs> like Eli has the upper hand maybe once. And even then he's still doing exactly what Daniel wants him to do, which is doing the thing that gets him the pipeline. I think that has to be on purpose because everything in this movie seems to be on purpose. Like this is a calculated, precise movie down to every detail. All the pastor, all he cares about is getting more people. That's, that's his main goal. He's like, you come in here, you do your shit. As long as I'm getting people, that's all that matters to me. Yeah. And like he, Eli is there before the church is there before. But what else is there before? Absolutely fucking nothing. A bunch of rock farms and salty water. Daniel, you know, is not the best guy in the world by any means, but he is actually bringing stuff. He's building roads. He's building the town out. Train station's getting bigger. More people come. Uh, Religion, you know, keeps people on rock farms and commerce, you know, builds civilization. So, like, the movie, I feel like, is 100% on Daniel's side. If the movie was about like uh, picking sides between commerce and religion. It's like commerce crushes religion. Commerce corrupts religion. Religion cannot stand up against commerce. Especially like Eli's fucking pathetic brand of religion that I hate so much, where he pretends that he's magical and he's just doing this song and dance to fool these illiterates into, you know, filling the collection plate. You know, like Daniel just sniffs him out immediately and the movie's kind of over right then if that's what the movie is about but i don't but again i just don't think that's what the movie is about i think the movie is about daniel and hw and like and their relationship that's just the thing that i'm most interested in a because that kid is awesome dylan frazier who plays hw never acted before he was just a kid in marfa texas where they filmed there will be blood and Paul Thomas Anderson picked him out of the class, not because he was the best actor necessarily, but because he could shoot and he looked like a credible, like outdoorsy kid. And that's kind of all the movie asks of him. And just like um, the movie I mentioned earlier, Petite Maman, just seeing this kid fuck around in the desert is so incredibly watchable. Uh, this guy never acted again. He's just like some kind of, I looked him up. He's like some kind of oil adjacent engineer. He has a local band and he looks like every other guy that lives in Texas. That's in their late twenties, early thirties. And he gave like one of the best kid performances alongside one of the best performances period uh, in and Daniel he, Day Lewis. And he, yeah, that's the only thing he's ever done. Yeah. He's, and he's deaf. <laughs> like the dude is like deaf in half the movie. Like if we're comparing it to Stand by Me, like again, yeah, just like seeing this kid in his element is so compelling and so endearing. Uh, and he wouldn't be that way if Daniel wasn't a good dad. Like there's there's a way to read There Will Be Blood. If you like, if you take Daniel Plainview like at his word, like I never cared about you, bastard in a basket, you're you're an orphan, et cetera, et cetera. That's that's bullshit. Like, that's the lie. He's not telling the truth then. Like, he does care about this kid. He obviously cares about this kid. Like, at a certain point, I wrote in my notes, like, I will not believe or no one will convince me that this is not a legitimate father-son relationship. And, like, seeing that 
decay in spite of what everyone actually wants is uh, my favorite part of LB Blood by a wide, wide margin. I love like, the father, the father son stuff. I'll, I guess I will have to rewatch it then and uh, look at it that way. Like just the, the Eli, Eli is such a distraction for Daniel. And I don't say that negatively against the movie. Like I think Paul Dano is very good doing what he's asked to do, which is like be obviously less than this man. <laughs> and then have a dad who was obviously less than you. Uh, just establish this hierarchy where you can dominate some people, you can dominate the rubes and you're nothing town, but eventually someone's going to come. You are not able to dominate. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm just going on and on. <laughs> no, it's okay. You go ahead and go on and on. Like, I, it's not, it's a pretty straightforward movie. I mean, it really is. It really is. Like, moment to moment, it, like I mentioned, how precise it is and everything is in its right place in There Will Be Blood. But it is, it is pretty straightforward. I know, I'm sure, I've been, I know I mentioned on the podcast before that I showed this to my oldest two nephews who are like, 12 and 11 i think at the time 12 and 10 maybe and they were like this is a prestige movie that's on like the top 250 all-time movie list alongside extremely pretentious like french movies and japanese movies etc etc and they were dialed in like they were 100 percent watching it they cared about what was happening they understood what was happening uh, and I'm sure if they watched it again and again, they would like find new stuff about it. But it is graspable. It's not like the kind of homework movie where, where um, you know, you have to like break it apart and like what's really happening is this re- is this really happening? What's the director thinking here, et cetera, et cetera? It's all kind of on the surface, which again is not a negative compared to like the master, which is where nothing is on the surface in the master. The master is a total puzzle, and. I do like that movie a little better for a lot of different reasons, but I think Paul Thomas Anderson has played a trick on everybody where like he makes this Western epic and everyone thinks it's so meaningful when it, it, it is, it, it's pretty straightforward. I don't really have much else about there will be blood. <laughs> no, it's sort of, it, yeah. I mean, this is basically like when we watched uh, the women about the movie about the women in the Gullah Geach. Daughters of the dust. Like, yeah. Daughters of the dust. You're just like, this is a good movie. Everyone was acting great. And if you like you watch the movie and there's really nothing to talk about because it's good and that like what do you do when everyone just agrees that everything about a movie's good? Like yeah. There's, yeah. You, there's no talking about it. You just talk about what you liked and uh, like I said the acting was good. The only thing I didn't like is like at the end when he kills him, it's just kind of seems like a bit overkill. But I'm um, but <laughs> I mean, it's that is it's so much fun to watch. It They're is having such a great time. Yeah. Fills him with a bowling pin. Cool. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> like. Why? Yeah. Because that's just where Daniel is in his life at this point. Like, yeah, he, this is his like complete and total victory that he already won a long time ago. This is just like, OK, we're up by 30 at the end of the game. Uh, we'll put our scrubs in to play a fifth quarter. Uh, just kidding. I'm going to put the star player in that center and just fucking dominate your ass in this meaningful, in this meaningless extra period when everything has already been decided. I'm still going to fuck. I'm still going to crush you. 
because you're so weaselly and useless and I've lost my goddamn mind because yeah, I've driven everybody away. But, I mean, without it, you don't get the milkshake. You don't get the slither out of your mother's filth. You don't get the bowling pin. You don't get the gnawing on the steak like a fucking animal. Yeah, the uh, I drink your milkshake iconic line. Absolutely, yes. That and the I, I abandoned my child. Uh, just, oh, const, yeah. just constant, constant, just top tier, top tier scenes. The soundtrack is, oh, the, the score is fantastic. I think I was just getting turned on to Radiohead at this point at this period in 2007 when I saw this for the first time. I'm sure this soundtrack has something to do with it by Johnny Greenwood. It's it, like the, especially like the, the Derek explosion where you start, it's just like, it's practically alien, the soundtrack. Like it, it's just very, he, I'm sure Johnny Greenwood, like he's always the guy at Radiohead concerts. He was like fiddling with some kind of, with, with pedals and some kind of weird instrument off to the side and and making like the bleep bloops that Radiohead haters always like to make fun of the band for, but here on this practically alien landscape of like desert California, it's just totally appropriate that you would hear like weird music while everything is going to shit. Anything yeah. else? No. No. Nope. A plus for me. A plus. A like it's it's an A. This was one of, I think, Shane. I think we pulled this from Shane's list. Have we got one out of your top ten? I don't think so. I don't think so. Man. You see, this is why you just gotta rig shit. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's always a a possibility. Like, you might as well rig it. We're the only two showing up to these things. Everybody... (laughs) I can test whether everybody... Everybody has the ability to look at the results of, like, the random... Or, like, the... uh, the, um, uh, what the, the rank choice voting that we do? I should just make shit up and see if anybody actually looks at one. I didn't know you could see the okay, the, so uh, yeah, yeah, now it's out there because, of course, everybody in the media movie club listens to the media movie club podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yep, we're, we'll all know, of course. Uh, that'll do us for this episode. Uh, we are just now finished with our House of the Dragon wrap up. Uh, that Again, turned out to be a, a fantastic show if you've been listening to us rave about that. Not, not a totally unqualified rave. That show has its problems and its fatal flaws. But uh, still a, a tremendous amount of fun. A lot going on. Uh, if you enjoy, if you're enjoying that season, if you enjoy to talk about Game of Thrones, when that was on, you know, check out our House of the Dragon episodes. Our next trio of movies, again, we're sticking with the best of, personal best ofs for one more month. And this next month, we're going to watch Whiplash. We're going to watch Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And we're going to watch uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, so I'm excited to see if I have seen most of Holy Grail. I've seen those other two movies uh, multiple times. Uh, so we'll see if Holy Grail holds up as and if I still love those other two movies as much as I think that I do. Check us out on the internet at MediaCanMovie.club. I just posted a review of A Hero, an Iranian movie from 2021, and Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, the big sci-fi extravaganza, multiversal, etc., etc., from April. Uh, Strong reviews on both of those. Both of those are very good movies that I would recommend to anybody. And like us on Facebook at MediaCanMovieClub. Follow us on Twitter at MediaCanMovieCol and Instagram at MediaCanMovieClub. Thank you for joining me tonight, JR. You're welcome. Have a good night.